2020 was a year that revealed many monsters to the world. But 2021 is where Paul Acey and I, fanboy and know-it-all, as we are known to each other to different degrees. And throughout the world. And throughout the world are tackling monsters in cinema. Not all of them, but some of the big ones. And uh, (laughs) some bigger than others. (laughs) It's monsters galore as we tackle Godzilla versus Kong, the 2021 release, as well as Attack of the Monsters, a 1969 release. We got oldies, we got goodies, and a lot of baddies. (laughs) Those were words. Those were words. They all strung together to make a coherent sentence. Or at least a sentence that I done did say. Yes. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside pop culture with fanboy and know-it-all. I'm Jake. I am Paul. And I am trying to artificially up my energy levels. <laughs> so if I sound today? weird, that's why. Are you feeling tired today? Is it just the weather? Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of I had a lot of early mornings over the weekend with the holiday, with getting into some disc golfing. Uh, where the disc people golfing. I went disc golfing with wanted to tee off at six thirty in the morning. Oh, good goodness! At a at a course that's over thirty minutes away from my house. Oh, and they wanted to get coffee beforehand. So I mean, I I was up early. I was up very early, and then I got you know some crazy sunburns. You know, sunburns always make you feel lethargic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I started early in the morning. I didn't think about sunscreen. I was only half awake. And it was dark outside. And so then I got burned and then I felt lethargic from that. And then we had holiday hosting things outside where it was nice and warm, but also, you know, contributed to that lethargy of the sun condition that I just mentioned. Yeah. And then woke up the next day with bacterial conjunctivitis in one of my eyes. Oh, that's disgusting. You know? Yeah. It's gross. It is gross. I'm just tired of it. And now we've got a thunderstorm, a, a, a snow thunderstorm <laughs> where I'm at. Do you have a snow, a snow thunderstorm where you're at, Paul? You know, actually, it's a, it's more like snow thunder clouds right now. No actual precipitation okay. just yet, but it's it's looking gloomy. And I yeah. think that we we just had two nice days of weather here. Two. And already I'm spoiled. You know, I'm ready for it to be 70 all the time. But here in Colorado, you know, it's it's bound to snow sometimes in May, June. I've even seen it snow on the 4th of July once. So, yeah, I'm I'm welcoming everybody back inside our crazy brains and my crazy lethargic brain by trying to be hyper excited. We'll see how that turns out in the recording. What I'll probably sound like is a dumb, tired oaf who's just talking louder and <laughs> only marginally faster. I'll get you arguing about something. That'll wake you up. That should do it. 
you know, of course we'll get to the most least important thing, but we had Godzilla versus Kong, the latest in the modern anthology of Godzilla and Kong films. And it's hit HBO Max and theaters near you as things start to open back up. More and more theaters are accepting patrons back into the fold. And I kind of think that it's one of those movies that actually deserves to be seen on a big screen. Don't you think? Deserves to and maybe has to be watched on a huge screen. Uh, It sounds like... That sounds a little bit like foreshadowing for what you might perhaps perchance to dream we'll see uh another film that we decided to watch since it was like a versus film was a, a is a return to the hurt so good segment a favorite of ours where we watch bad films and talk about whether or not they're bad enough to be good to watch and uh, Paul picked it out this time. It of goes course. by two different titles. So that made it a little bit tricky for me to find at first, Paul. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you only know the one title? I, I know both of them, but I've never only found it but by the one title. Okay. Which is yeah. Attack of There's the Monsters. Attack of the Monsters. Yeah. Correct. 1969 monster, really like a monster versus film with a little bit of a plot thrown in to move things along. Uh, that ends up making it even crazier. But these these the this monster film, although ostensibly could have been aided by the big screen, was kind of developed for television, if what I read is correct. They're sort of developed to be Saturday morning, you know, monster movies. No, no. So here's how it happened. Well, we don't. I'll I'll get into this when we actually talk about the movie. But I think in Japan, where it originated, it was definitely designed for the big screen. But here in the United States, it never made it to movie theaters. It just landed on, uh, on television as Attack uh, of the Monsters. Yes. UHF TV was what helped perpet. you know, they needed some content. So the UHF stations would pick up for Saturday afternoon matinees for their creature features, their double features. That's see, I told you my brain was tired. <laughs> Uh, I'm for you, Jake, like I always do. I'm out. I need a sub. I'm uh, signaling to the coach on the sideline. We're going to get a sub in here. And he's he's turning me back. He wants me to finish my humiliation. No tag- There's those two different approaches, right, that coaches have of either yank somebody so that they learn, you know, they sit and stew on the sideline or let them just sit in their complete and utter and abject failure and continue to fail. Don't you always feel bad for like hockey goalies that are stuck there when yeah. like 16 to nothing. I always and feel terrible. Just piling on. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. That's not right. It's. I had to face that with my own son this last football season. Did you I really? Was, yeah. I was decided to coach my son's football teams. And with my oldest, he, he got into playing some quarterback, right? A position I've played in my own life. And he, he had originally wanted to play wide receiver and I thought that would be great because in all of our practices, you know, his arm was, it was, his arm was okay, but he wasn't, he didn't (laughs) seem to have, he wasn't showing me stuff that made me think, yeah, he's, he's going to be the next in the line. But we get next in the line. That's right. The line that started with me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, but we get to practice and 
for the drills, they need somebody to start throwing. They need a couple of guys to start throwing. And so he is like, I'll throw it and starts throwing really well and throwing in a way I've never seen him throw. And I'm like, well, okay, what's going on here? Has his first game, throws multiple touchdown passes, no interceptions, like just has a monster game. And then it comes to game two, Paul. And by the fourth interception and zero touchdown passes, the poor guy was in tears and he was feeling it. And he's a very confident young man. He does not, he does not get to this point often and he was begging to be pulled out. And so I had to make that decision as the coach of, do I pull him out or is this an opportunity to teach him to stick through it in the face of adversity and keep trying? And uh, I, I made him stick through it. Did you really? I did. How, and many, how many interceptions did he eventually throw? That's probably he not threw a fifth interception, and so he was really hurting. But then he came back out again, and he got one touchdown to end the game. So it wasn't a total ab, you know, it wasn't a total wash. So did that and build up his confidence again? Just that one touchdown pass? Did he feel like ah, I can do this? No, Everybody's he was still gonna... ready to not play the next week, and so I had to do a whole lot of coaching and heart to heart talks with them over the next week to get him ready punishing for the next game. Um, Telling and, him uh, <laughs> I didn't punish him. You know, I, I went the, I went the real heartfelt, you know, it was like every night was like a scene, the same scene from that sports movie where the coach, the coach slash father sits down and has the heart to heart with his son. You know, I was just, I was had that scene on repeat Don't and we got him out there the next game. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep fighting. Life's going to throw stuff at you. It matters you gotta, whether you get back up or not. That's right. You got to roll with the punches, yeah. all the cliches. And he got back out there and he had a good game. You know, he, he still threw an interception, but he had more touchdowns and interceptions that time. And he got to learn that he could get back out there and get back up again. So that's great. So he's um, already better than you were, right? That's right. That I never got to that point. I always was a complete mental case. Yeah. <laughs> I threw even one interception, like the classic story that I laugh about it, about myself. And then we'll move on from the sports psychology and on to the, you know, back to the monsters. This all stemming from the fact that I was not, I I need to get pulled from this podcast and I'm proving it right here, but I had the most epic game as a junior in high school where we were playing our rivals and we went into four overtimes. Four overtimes. Four overtimes. And I ended up scoring, running for the winning touchdown in the fourth overtime. Uh, my I threw three touchdowns, ran for that one in the game, and we won in quadruple overtime. I mean, against our most bitter rivals in front of a crowd of around three to 4,000 people. Wow. And it was on, it was at night, Friday night lights. I mean, it's, it's how you write this stuff up for the movies. You were carried off the field, people cheering. I was mobbed in the end zone when I scored the touchdown. The, you the know. girl who you always liked finally saw the error of her ways and decided to start <laughs> dating you. Yeah. I mean, pretty darn close. Unfortunately for me and my mental state, I had thrown an interception about midway through the fourth quarter on a really dumb play where, you know, I just really wanted to make a play. I didn't have the throw, but I thought, oh, my arm's big enough. I can throw this off balance, off platform across the field, running away from my body, you know, yeah. over the top of the safety. And a no, I didn't. Play, essentially. Yeah, I, and I just threw a fluttering butterfly of a duck <laughs> right to the safety and uh, 
put our team in jeopardy of really, you know, losing the game. And that was all I could think about that weekend amidst like, I, I didn't think about the fact that I scored two, two more touchdowns after that, including the winning touchdown. No, I was stuck on the interception. Like I almost lost us the game though. The rest of it doesn't matter. I almost lost us the game. Yeah. So essentially you felt a little like, like Kong did in certain parts of this movie that we're going to be talking about. Right. I don't, I mean, Kong. that's a terrible segue. <laughs> I'm trying to help but you, it's man. really, it's really, again, it's my fault. It's my fault. I won't heap the blame on you because I took us way off course. Here. I'm trying to bring us back to the topic. <sighs> All right. Yeah, we are getting back to Kong. Segway complete. <laughs> Let me just make a note about where I need to edit all my idiocy out. Uh, yeah, I was going to tell yeah. you a nice sports story of, of my own, but I don't, I don't think we have time anymore. So I got things to do. Paul's got things to do, and I'm telling stories that mean absolutely nothing. No, I feel like we just got to shut the whole thing down. This is it. This is, <laughs> this is we're done. You know what? That's it. I'm just going to, we'll do it live. No, we'll do it no live. this is, this is where I give you the pep talk. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter what came before. It matters what you do in this next moment. This next instant will define this podcast. You can do it. I believe in you. And that's the boost I needed to get us to the segue. It's time for Godzilla versus Kong. Then it's going to be Gamera versus Guaron or Attack of the Monsters. And then it's going to be the most least important thing. And I'm going to stay awake for all of it. <laughs> Unlike the films, question mark? With Godzilla vs. Kong splashing into HBO streams near you, as well as theaters near you, here's your plug to go support your local theater if it's safe and responsible and comfortable for you to do so. This is another segue off onto a path of nowhere, but I also, I didn't see this in theaters, but I did go see Nobody in theaters. We're not talking about Nobody in theaters, <laughs> but it was not great. So there's... There's your one sentence review of Nobody, which is also in theaters. <laughs> but if you like not great films brought to you by the makers of John Wick, then maybe you want to comfortably and responsibly go see Nobody. See, I actually theaters. heard Nobody was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I can see how middle-aged men with revenge fantasy complexes would like the movie. Is it sort of like was a... A midlife crisis movie, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. A midlife crisis movie for those with toxic masculinity coursing through their veins. You could make the same argument for Godzilla vs. Kong, actually. Very, you can't, but thank you for trying <laughs> it again to bring the segue <laughs> back. These, these creatures were born like in the 1950s and 60s, kind of. Well, Kong is much older, but... Yeah. I mean, you could make an argument that they're sort of in their midlife and they're trying to they're trying to prove themselves against each other. I that case can be made, but yeah, that's probably giving these films too much credit. Yeah, well. Yeah, that's probably true. So, 
Godzilla versus Kong. Paul, you want to set the table on this bad boy before I completely uh, sidetrack us again? Yeah, yeah, I better do that. So Godzilla versus Kong. It is about these two monsters. One of them is named Godzilla. The other one is named Kong. Godzilla is a big lizardy type of creature who lives in the bottom of the ocean. Kong is, of course, King Kong, who has been residing on Skull Island for the last few years in his own personal high-tech bubble, which he doesn't like very much. Now, typically, both of these monsters have been quote-unquote good guys within the latest incarnation of their respective franchises, right? I mean... Yeah, within the last 10 years or so, right? Yeah, Godzilla saved the world. Kong is nice and cuddly for a very tall gorilla. Um, But suddenly something happens and Godzilla attacks this, uh, this town called Pensacola, Florida, because there's a corporation there that he doesn't like. And all of a sudden, people start to to get a little bit nervous over the whole thing. And so somehow they decide that I don't really quite know why this is, but they needed to free Kong from Skull Island so he could lead them to the source of the power for these gigantic monsters, which in the franchise, they are called Titans. But the catch is that Godzilla and Kong apparently have this millennia-old rivalry. There's old pictures of them fighting each other in, you know, ancient Egypt and on cave walls. And so they're worried that if Kong leaves Skull Island, all of a sudden Godzilla will attack. And that's exactly what happens. So that's essentially the setup here. Godzilla and Kong do not like each other. Each one thinks they're the top dog and they want to beat the other one down and lots of humans might get in their way. And that's the spoiler free version going forward. Free version going forward. We are going to have to get into spoilers here. Yeah, because really it's, it's in spoiler territory with this, where this movie gets interesting, I think. Right. And unlike some films, I remember a Liam Hemsworth and, a title Liam Hemsworth and Harrison Ford film from a couple of years ago, where is like a great example of films that just give away the entire plot in the trailer. That didn't happen with Godzilla versus Kong. No, no, they so, showed some surprising restraint. They did. So this is your official spoiler warning. You've been warned. And we're back. Yeah, I mean, essentially, we've got a film with the perfectly circle of life, circle circular logic of. We've got these Titans, and we've kind of figured out that these Titans, Godzilla and Kong, are on our side because they've saved us from some crazy, scary monsters in the past. So, all right, we have this sort of uneasy alliance with them. We don't fully understand it, but it seems like it's a real thing. But not everybody trusts that. In particular, this one company seems to be working on some very – but they put on a public face that they – but secretly they're working on some super high-tech anti-Titan technology. Apex Corporation. It is, I the, mean, it is the true bad guy in this movie, right? Yeah. I mean the whole title is, is completely misleading. It's, it, Godzilla and Kong, they do fight frequently in this movie. But really it's versus the Apex Corporation and their monstrous creation known as Mechagodzilla. The big spoiler. 
the big spoiler. Yes, Mechagodzilla makes a return. Um, back in the original Godzilla franchise, I think uh, the original Mechagodzilla showed up in the 1970s, maybe 1974. Um, he has showed up in several monster movies, actually. Uh, several Godzilla movies in different incarnations. He always seems to be created by a different company, a different alien race. Um, And he has been one of Godzilla's most notorious adversaries. And he is that again this time. It seems as though Mechagodzilla, created by the Apex Corporation, in in a sense because... um, the the main dude, the CEO of, of Apex, doesn't like the idea of these monsters, you know, being being the big top dogs on Earth. You know, he, I think he has a legitimate fear that they could get out of hand, but I think that he also just has some, he just is a little bit arrogant about humankind. And so he wants to, to actually show these monsters who's boss. And his Mechagodzilla is what he uses to do that. Somehow he fuses this humongous, humongous um, tech robotic creation to the skull of Ghidorah. You know, the the big old three-headed dragon monster that Godzilla faced off in his last movie. Um, and somehow... Um, Apex Corporation seems to lose control. This is very spoilery, but seems to lose control of Mechagodzilla and Ghidorah somehow from beyond the grave takes control of the of the robot and it becomes a big time showdown. And ultimately all that's just meant to serve as fodder to move between the giant monster fights. Right. Though it does Which become good overly because, complex. Yeah, it really does. And, and it's good that when it stays with the monster fights, I thought that this movie was pretty entertaining. As soon as you started seeing humans, it was not very good at all. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was I thought, some compelling promise to the mother-daughter relationship early on. But I didn't really feel like that paid off in between any the, meaningful way. Yeah, between like the mom who was... The researcher and yeah, the daughter who signs and connects with Kong. Correct. Yeah, I think I think it's an adopted daughter. And to be honest with you, I didn't see either of the prequels to this particular movie. So I'm sort of going a little bit blind, but... Mm. You know, I think that right. she was like a native of Skull Island and there must have been some sort of adoption scenario. I'm just making things up now. It was along those lines, right. But I, regardless of the exact relationship, the mother-daughter dynamic did yeah. seem interesting at first, but it didn't really pay off to any anything meaningful. Like all of the – all the, they have so many different sub-threads, you know, with the teenagers going rogue and meeting up with the conspiracy theorist and then – the dad that they ignore most of the film, but bring in at random moments. <laughs> that was so odd. This poor dad. I was thinking about him calling. So his daughter, her friend and this conspiracy theorist, they just zip off in some sort of vacuum tube, like an Elon Musk vacuum tube all the way to Tokyo, not Tokyo, Hong Kong. And, uh, and the only role that, that, the teen daughter's dad actually has is just frantically calling, wondering where his daughter is. As he goes around the world like, well, I hope she answers her phone soon. Seems like a really irresponsible family to me. There's a couple of problems here. 
this was another film like another HBO Max film that we just talked about, Justice League, that used an inordinate amount of random and not completely consistent slow motion. Where like certain things in the scene would be slow motion, but not everything would be slow motion. But it wasn't because somebody was in super speed. It was for cinematography effects of some kind. But yet you're just really confused as to why, you know, King Kong's hair is flowing in slow motion, but the boat's moving in fast motion. (laughs) (laughs) You got fun stuff like that mixed in. I will say outside of a couple of times where uh, Godzilla's face seems a little bit too malevolent, malevolently gleeful. I really did appreciate the monster effects and the monster fights. The CGI was really good. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought much better than Justice League or Wonder Woman or things like that that we've watched big CGI spectacles, <laughs> and I imagine this would have been a blast to watch on an IMAX. Yeah, on the big screen, I do think that these. I mean, it's very ironic that we have these gigantic monsters being stuffed into our small screens at home, right? Even though most of our screens aren't necessarily that small anymore, it it does still feel like you want the drama of these massive creatures to be on that IMAX, right? So you can get the feel of their power and their strength and their massive size. Um, I, I also watched it at home, but I'm actually thinking about going to see it in the theaters just to see what it's like. And this was, this was actually just a, just as a little aside, this was the movie that, kind of sort of relaunched the movie industry or at least they hoped this was the first big blockbuster to come out in theaters since last summer and tenant right and it i think this one in particular of all the superhero and action films that we've talked about this one in particular really would benefit from what even our big screens at home cannot translate. And that's the big speaker experience. Yeah. There's something really. about the the way that the huge speakers that a lot of theaters have now, and especially the IMAX have right now, you know, you can hear my children's voices being projected through them as we speak. They're <laughs> shouting through, it's basically IMAX levels here, but uh, like, I know they're really loud because I have my AirPod pros on like, mute like mute the ambient noise setting and i can still hear my children so i apologize to everyone else but uh you know i think about watching certain films like the christopher nolan batman trilogy or uh, a denzel washington film called safe house from several years ago where like the impact of gunshots and of punches and kicks and blasts of all kinds really you just feel them thumping in your chest as they burst through the speakers and with godzilla versus kong with all the mighty roars and laser blasts and punches and explosions and buildings crumbling like that is one where you need that physically visceral experience of the sound, the vibrations from the theater speakers rocking your body. And I think it's a whole new experience at that point. I totally agree. I totally agree. And of course we're just guessing because, you know, we saw it at home, but it does seem like it would bring something that, uh, that the home experience just can't deliver on. And I think that, that big, 
bonanza of special effects, big screen, big noise, big monsters. Um, it almost needs that treatment because the story itself is not anything to write home about. And so I, I think you kind of need that spectacle for this movie to work. And when you don't have that spectacle, the movie kind of suffers. Um, this wasn't a really long movie. This wasn't like four hours of Zack Snyder, right? This right. was this was two hours. A lot of it was pretty entertaining. Some of it felt a little bit draggy, um, in part because it just didn't have that strong of a story. And it was trying to, to work in way too many characters and cause people to make way too many logistical leaps um, to follow the story along. And it's, it's strange to say that it requires logistical leaps because you wouldn't think that that would be, that would necessarily be an issue with a 400 foot tall lizard. Right. But you'd think that you'd be in all in, but at the same time you watch this movie. And even if you buy into that thing, part of you is thinking now, wait, how did they get from the center of the earth to Hong Kong in eight seconds. I right. don't quite get that. So it, it just, it just is full of questions. Yeah. It's absolutely a, a turn your brain off at the door kind of film. Like if it's going to be successful, I saw people arguing about it on Facebook and, you know, in a group where a bunch of people were, Oh my gosh, Godzilla versus Kong. It was amazing. I loved it. And then another guy coming in and be like, I listened to your recommendations and I went and saw it or I saw it, you know, on HBO max and it was dumb and it was stupid and the acting was bad and the script was bad. And, uh, all this stuff was really just dumb and underwhelming. And then they came back and were like, well, yeah, if you want script and if you want acting and if you want these good story then go watch a different film don't watch a godzilla versus <laughs> film and it's turned into this partisan fanboy versus know-it-all fight Dynamic. online yeah. you know yeah amongst absolutely. people and there's there's a truth there in that you do just have to kind of say hey look i'm not here uh to learn anything i'm not here to be gripped by a story i am here for the thumping of giant lizards and monkeys bashing it out in the ocean and in the center of the earth and in hong kong all right so i have i have two questions for you. what was the coolest scene in the movie and what annoyed you the most about this movie mm, i think i think the coolest scene in the film was probably the first showdown between Godzilla and Kong that takes place out in the middle of the ocean uh, with these aircraft carriers. And I like the sort of the impend. You have a little bit of that Jaws effect, the impending doom of wait, Godzilla's coming and we're out in the middle of nowhere. And this is his, yeah. you know, this is his fighting like Kong needs the ground. Like what's he going to yeah. do yeah. when he's only got these ships in the ocean. And so there was, I thought some some fun high octane moments there. Some real that's where you really uh, like some of the explosions with the ships and the effects of things rocking back and forth and getting turned upside down and getting dragged into the depths of the ocean. And I don't know. I thought that felt pretty cool um, as an action sequence. What I was most annoyed about. That's a good question. There were many things. I mean, I think it's. Of all the things, I think it was the decision to try to pursue 
so many different like for them to try to tell like a takeaway moral of the story of you know trying to tie it back into the pursuit of weapons to be the apex predator to which in turn becomes the threat like that becomes a little uh it it gets muddled and slows yeah. down the film but it, it is very it is very germane to these these big it, it is monster movies which always tend to have some sort of a metaphorical bent as they go on right right you got to have some of that but just the way they tried to get really smart in sci-fi uh, I think it was a little overwrought instead of just letting it kind of happen. You know, I think you could have that storyline, but the way they tried to wrangle in and stuff it with, here's all the scientific stuff to make it sci-fi. And then here's the moralizing stuff to give it a point, And here's multiple individuals and their relationships that were never really going to pay off. And so I guess just the fact that they tried to shoehorn all of that rather than letting the simple story be as simple as it needed to be. Uh, yeah. that they tried to make it they over convoluted it when it didn't need to be yeah yeah i think for me i really loved the hollow earth you know not yeah. the theory i thought that that was uh, i don't know it, it felt weird to me but the the realization of this world i thought was pretty cool and especially the idea that that you know, you have essentially two land masses that you can hop on and one is above your head. And if you go to a certain point, then you sort of float in the gravity to that other place sort of pulls you. I really liked that. I really liked some of the monsters that we saw really briefly in the hollow world. I wanted to know more about that. Um, it was a very intriguing little area that I really appreciated. I thought it was pretty cool. Even, even when Kong was fighting those like flying snake things, I thought that was, that was nifty, a little gory snakes being pulled apart by, by Kong. That was, that was pretty extreme. Having their brain juices sucked out. Exactly. It was a little like a bit, smoothie. a little bit grotesque. So that was, that was, but it was still fun and exciting. And I think, you know, if I had tickets to see The Hollow World, I definitely would. The most annoying part of it was something that I was not expecting. Millie Bobby Brown. Oh, yeah? Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, you know, I think that it's always difficult to transition from a child actor to an adult actor, right? And. I don't think the script did her very many favors, but I'm so used to seeing her as 11 in Stranger Things that seeing her as a more, I just don't think that she, she was as good as I thought she could be. And like we've said, this script is not designed to show off anybody's acting chops, but you know, I thought her conspiraciness and her, her, her unthoughtfulness toward her father just mm. ticked me off a little bit. Yeah, that was there to drag the to give the teens something to root for. Yeah, more like when their parents drag them to the film. At least they could be like, "Oh, at least the teenagers were smarter than the adults." I kind of like that. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, and what was this one? She was she was dragging all these people everywhere with her. She was the only one who seemed to know anything. Yeah, I mean that's classic Harry Potter right there. I tell you what. Uh, I disagree. The adults are idiots and the teens know everything. And I so totally disagree to and we teens, should have a podcast on that as well. But Well, now it feels like we have to go down this rabbit trail <laughs> because that's exactly what happens in all of the Harry Potter no, books no, and in the no, entirety no. of the Harry Potter no. anthology. No, no. 
it actually the whole story of Harry Potter is that Harry Potter thinks that he knows everything, but then he realizes that the adults in his life are smarter than he gives them credit for. There's moments, there's moments, but overall it's the teenagers who always have the, the best ideas. And it turns out that maybe the adults did a few stumbled into a few right things along the way, but anywho, <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, yeah, the, I had another thing that annoyed me or not maybe annoyed is not, but is that kind of logical leap of when you see the hollow earth, you know, when you finally arrive, you see this massive expanse that, as two double-sided like you say and has all these different landscapes and monsters you're like what the heck are the titans doing up on the top side they've got i i think i might have just what but they've got everything they need down here exactly exactly no pollution no stupid humans attacking them food to eat kingdoms to rule like what else do you need in life and see here's there's one of the things that really mystifies me to be honest with you is so they they present this at the beginning of the movie that the titans come from this area right yeah there's no evidence that godzilla was ever there but there's plenty of evidence that there were gigantic gorillas like kong there right so are we sure that all the titans actually come from there i'm not so sure because theoretically why would if 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 they both came from there it seems like Godzilla should have his own little temple too, right? Because well, Kong gets his temple. He has this huge thing that somehow was constructed with these beautiful little arches and doors. I don't think Kong can really construct that. And I don't think any of his relatives could. So I, I do wonder who in the heck built that thing for him. But right. he's got his own throne. And Godzilla, where was Godzilla if, if if Kong was getting his throne, if Kong's relatives were all, you know, sitting on this palace place? It seems like yeah. like Godzilla should have like some sort of presence there, right? Well, yeah. And in Kong Skull Island, we had gotten the idea that, you know, on Skull Island, there had been many, like, there had been many in this line of apes protecting the islanders from monsters that came up out of the ground, you know, presumably out of the hollow earth. And that, that was the Kong's role, the Kong's plural role. And that Kong, the one we meet was sort of the last in the line. And uh, yeah, it does open up like, so that's where it's playing on in this, you know, that they're okay. Here's their kingdom. But I'm like, okay, if the, if these skull crawlers, as they call them, that's what Kong is protecting the Islanders from in Skull Island. Uh, if they're coming from the hollow earth and he's there to protect them, like in these, this kingdom of apes are there to protect the, the, these people. Like, why don't they just do that from inside the hollow earth? Like rather than waiting for them to mature and try to come out up out of the ground, it's like, Hey, stamp it out at the source Yeah, in the hollow earth, like where you're you got your whole kingdom. And so that seems weird. And then, yeah, to your point, like, where do all these other monsters come these titans that are do they come from like maybe it's the flip side maybe the like kong and the, all the apes had the they ruled the one side and godzilla ruled the other side i don't know yeah but that also messes with like where did these other huge like ghidorah and mothra and all these other types of huge monsters come from and you know what 
what do they want above ground that they can't settle below ground? Yeah, and 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 who who in the heck is building these gigantic structures in the Hollow Earth? I really, really want to know that. You know, in the original Godzilla movies, some of this made a lot more sense, quite frankly, and that's very strange for me to say. But you know, all these all these creatures, they they eventually found their way to the same place. You know, they all congregated on Monster Island and hung out there for a good long while. Um, but they all had their own different places that they came from. You didn't have this this whole mythology of of these eternal warriors battling each other throughout history and i don't know it just it feels really compelling yeah and also very dumb which is frustrating you know i i i really want to know more about the hollow earth but i really just it just it just doesn't make any sense yeah i think they would have been better served because i like i like in concept the idea of pursuing a little bit more meat to the stories and dealing with these ancient monsters in the hollow earth and sort of adding that sort of sci-fi historical sci-fi angle to it. Um, I thought they, the way they introduced it in Kong skull Island was really, really good and felt dark and brooding and pretty interesting. And so that's where I think I got so annoyed by these random storylines with teenagers or, you know, little kids or whatever, because that took away from time that they could have spent sort of hashing out more of the mythology around these ancient monsters rather than getting distracted by random people where we don't really get any emotional payoff anyways. Yeah. Uh, And then tidying up some of the story arcs with the whole, the mythos. And I think that could have been, uh, that might've been a better use of the time that they had for other storylines to move the monsters along. So you get that, you keep it a little bit more simple, but still get to dig into sort of this ancient monster mythos yeah, in a fun way. Which is, it's very strange that you and I would both sort of long for like a, a kaiju equivalent of the Cimmerillion, right? Because <laughs> that's right. really what we're asking for. Um, but I think you're onto something because both very strangely, I thought, all three of the main monsters that we see, the audience has more emotional connection with all three of them than we do with any of the actual people who we see on screen. And that seems like that's a problem for the movie. I mean, normally you have people in these monster movies to help give the whole thing a little bit of humanity. But I, I don't think that those humans successfully gave this movie any humanity. I think that that they felt really disposable in a way that even old monster movies did not make them feel. Yeah. And and therein lies the rub of when you do decide, and I think we've talked about this a lot recently, when you do decide to tease out these bigger storylines, you now have a new problem on your hands because you're, when you're, when you're not allowing a story to be simple and you want to get more complex, it can be more interesting and more compelling, but you can introduce questions that and then fail to answer them or fail to give yourself time to do them service that then annoy your audience almost more than if you had just let it be something dumb in the first place. And it's sort of that, that fine knife's edge that movie makers and storytellers have to walk of giving enough extra context to keep people interested in big monster fights uh, that could feel really repetitive otherwise, 
without falling on the other side where you just introduce so many complexities that nobody can either understand it or just gets annoyed that you didn't do anything meaningful with it. Yeah. I, I do think, I do think that in some ways those broader storylines, like if you think about a future movie about the hollow earth, exploring that world a little bit more, I would definitely pay money to see that world in a way that I would not have paid to see Zack Snyder's version of a dystopian superhero wasteland. Yeah. But ultimately what you have are two people picking apart what is really supposed to be a dumb monster movie. And if you're there, if you just want Godzilla versus Kong for the carnage, hey, I think it delivers on that front. I do too. Even if it misses on some other fronts. I totally agree. I totally agree. The action sequences are kind of super fun here. And yeah, I, I, it's one of those movies where I wish in some ways it would have just been all monsters fighting monsters. Paul, what numerical rating out of 10 would you give Godzilla versus Kong, the 2021 version? I would give this a 6.8 on the Richter scale. On the Richter scale. For me, I was going to give it about a uh, a 5.7. So, I mean, that seems like it's in a pretty similar range. Yeah, because you always you know, rate things so much lower than I do. It's not so much lower. I didn't give so it below five. Much it's lower. just just incredibly average uh, because I think there are a lot of people that don't care for the monster carnage that would rate this much, much lower. And yeah. be like, this is a two or a three. My wife did not like it at all, but I thought, I thought for what it was, it was pretty fun. I thought it was as fun in some ways as Pacific Rim. Well, yeah. I mean, Pacific Rim, similarly, really interesting, high concept sci-fi monster film. Didn't always deliver on the high conceptness of its high concept, but was a watchable robot monster film. Yeah. Yeah. With all that also involved a little girl, kind of, <laughs> right? I forget about the little girl. I just think about those cool kaiju. I tell you what, that had some really cool monsters in it. It did. Pacific Rim? Oh, but that's another there podcast. There you have it. Godzilla versus Kong. It's in theaters. It's on HBO Max for a little while. What did you think? Let us know. We're on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. But now it's time for another monster versus film and hurts so good. Gamera versus Guaron. Also called Attack of the Monsters, Gamera versus Guaron. I don't know if you're if I'm even saying Guaron right. Likely but- not. Likely not. But that's that's what it's called on Wikipedia, and that's what it's called on IMDb. So there you have it. Yeah. So I read... Hurt so good. <laughs> I just ran across this on Amazon Prime, and you know, Jake, that, that I... There are times when I'd rather watch a bad movie than a good movie. I mean, honest to goodness, times when I would rather do that. Stumbled across this one. It sounded, the the Amazon Prime description sounded just 
bad enough for me to hook into. Yeah, because do you have the Amazon description there in front of you to read? Because I think that is a very hooking description. Yeah, hold on, hold on. You talk while I look. I'll let I'll let Paul pull it up. Um, I, I agree. It was a a description that, like, when Paul recommended the film, and I did told me it was on Amazon Prime. And I looked it up. I thought, oh, that does sound like a very interesting premise for a terrible movie. All right. You ready for this? Especially one from 1969. Yes, I'm ready. 1969. This movie is as old as I am. Attack of the Monsters, 1969. Two children get into a flying saucer and end up on the other side of the sun, where they dream of donuts and milk and a hero turtle. The women there want to eat their brains. I, I tell you, I was there as soon as I heard about the hero turtle. It's but one of the best summaries that's ever been written. <laughs> it really is. It, oh, man. I tell you what. I just loved that. And it's so fitting for this movie because that's really pretty much what happens, right? It is. And somehow, it, it, what was fascinating for me was I found that summary to be way more interesting than the actual product. Even though uh, to your the summary like very accurately depicts what happens in the film. Somehow the film manages to make it less interesting on screen than it sounds in the summary to me. I I totally, totally disagree with you. This was one of, this might be my favorite movie that I've seen this year. And I review movies. And that includes some really good Oscar nominated stuff. I loved Attack of the Monsters. It was really fun. Now, did you watch it by yourself? No, I watched it with my wife. And we watched it. I got to say that that we watched it over the course of a couple of nights. So we turned it off because my wife was falling asleep. She goes to, to sleep like right around 730. So we have to, we're done then. But yeah. but we uh, we flipped it back on. And yeah, I just, I just, as soon as I saw Gamera, the hero turtle mentioned in the description, Going through space with his little reverse fangs coming up from the bottom yep. bottom of his lip and seeing that he had jet packs where his two back feet should be, that movie won me over right there. And it that was, took a while to get to. Well, yeah, but I mean, you have to set it up. I mean, the boys, you know, so it's, uh, we'll just set this up for what it's worth. I mean, I mean, you gave the summary already, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's not much to do, but, but yeah. So it's about this, these two boys, Akio and Tom who discover a flying saucer. They are pretty calm about it. Really? Very chill. Very chill. They get suspiciously chill. Yeah, they just go on board and they all of a sudden the spaceship takes off and they go to this other planet, essentially. They meet yeah. they meet Gamera sort of on the way and they sort of wave each other. Gamera saves them just really quickly, but then they're on their way to the other planet. And it seems like they're already BFFs with Gamera. Like they know exactly who Gamera is. Like, oh look, it's Gamera. Well, he's the defender of children, Jake. The defender of children. Yeah, I didn't realize this was a part of a 12-film anthology when I first started Attack of the Monsters. No, I didn't but it turns either. out everybody knows Gamera, <laughs> defender of the children. I didn't either. So they land on this planet. And one of my favorite things, actually, was the other big monster, who mm-hmm. apparently is Guron, according to the original Japanese text. Yep. He He's essentially a sentient 
400 foot tall knife mm-hmm. right is that knife pretty dog. much a, a good description you knife just, dog human in a knife dog costume yeah who also shoots like japanese throwing stars from parts of his knife head sometimes when he wants to it's not consistent no and other times he deflects lasers from his knife head yes which was probably my favorite scene (laughs) when you first meet him and he deflects a laser from another monster off of his knife head and it shears off the leg of the other monster and then the goop and it just like rips off like a piece of paper and then you see the goopy blood and then the monster hops off on one leg this was a really violent bloody grotesque movie and this is made for children right oh my goodness those poor japanese kids watching this dismemberment in these in these movies yeah, that was a pretty good scene. The whole the whole limb getting lopped off by the monster's own lasers. Yeah, it was uh it was quite the treat. So anyway, that's where the kids find themselves. They they see these big old monsters. They run into a couple of women who really pretend to be nice for a good long while. Um but eventually it does become quite clear that they want to eat their brains. And mm. that is troubling even shaves one of the kids heads traps him in this thing um it was it was pretty alarming one of the greatest things about the spaceship jake was the little conveyor belt that takes people they stand on the conveyor belt and they move around the whole planetary space station or whatnot um i thought that was pretty cool they had some pretty cool elevators elevator slash transporter things yeah, where you have to stand really close together, but you can be zapped everywhere on the on the whole, you know, moon. Wherever the story needs you to yeah, go. Exactly. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. It I have to good. say, for a film that's only an hour and twenty minutes long, this felt so long to me. <laughs> it was great. It was and, great, Jake. Well, and why why I asked this of all the we've talked about with bad movies, there's the bad movies that work when you're watching them by yourself, and there's some that are tough when you're by yourself. So you were and watching me, it by yourself. I watched it by myself. And this one, especially like with how much dialogue there was between the two children and the two women, you know, each yeah. other and whatever. The children uh, this in was, this movie also annoyed me a lot, by the way. Oh, very annoying. The good. voices of the kids that did the dubbing were very annoying. Oh. And the script is so bad that it just amplifies how annoying it is to a new degree. Akio, Akio, Tom, Akio. You know, it's like Wally, except with really irritating. Like my mom hates the movie Wally because of the Wally, Eva. She hates that. That was this with even more annoying actors doing the dubbing <laughs> and uh, where you could like, oh, man, there'd be a whole lot here to make fun of if there were people to riff with. But as it was, there was too many gaps between the the action sequences and the gore uh, for it to be really fun by itself, because so much of the film, especially at first, 
is dialogue heavy, which is really annoying to the point where I think my wife asked, she kind of passed by at one point and she's like, are you having flashbacks to watching um, <laughs> the, the star Wars holiday special where it's just Wookie irritating Wookie noises for an hour and a half. <laughs> Listening to this, the dubbing for this film was not that bad, but it was in that vicinity. Oh my, oh my goodness. I really enjoyed this movie beyond description. I really did. And it is, it is available to your point for those who have Amazon prime subscriptions, it's available to watch free of charge or free of extra charge. I should say free of extra charge. Yeah. And in, I do have to say it is a bad movie. The kids are super annoying. The the special effects are pretty laughable. Um, if you're, you know, I, I think that it would be, this was a much more enjoyable movie for me to watch than the North Korean movie that, that you and I and Tim talked over on a podcast a while back. Mm-hmm. That felt a little bit, that felt not nearly as much fun as this one did. Right, because that one was sort of was supposed to have a serious message to it. Correct, correct. It was this a propaganda one, North Korean film, right? Right. So much more dramatic, even if badly so, than this one, which is really meant to be a fluffy kids' film that just happens to be kind of gory. Yes. Well, and and sort of serious. It's meant to be sort of an action-packed movie, right? But I think, man, I don't know how you can dislike a movie with a gigantic turtle with jets for back legs sometimes. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, nobody's that heartless, right? And who swings around a bar that suddenly materializes somewhere like a gymnast. Yes. Performing. I, I love that from like the featured storyline plot summary on IMDb says, uh, Finally, Gamera rescues the children while fighting Garon, a monster with a giant knife for a nose. Gamera kills Garon while doing gymnastics on a parallel bar and takes the kids home, where the kids hope for peace, understanding, and the end of traffic accidents. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that gymnastic scene. That was, that was worth waiting through 100 minutes of the film, no matter what. It was charming. And it's not even a hundred minute long film. It's only an hour 20. Yeah. 80 minutes, 80 minutes. Yeah. Not and, bad. Uh, not bad at all. It's one where almost you get all the entertainment you need out of reading the IMDb user reviews. <laughs> there are some very entertaining reviews on IMDb, sort of like with uh, the sugar-free Haribo gummy bear reviews on Amazon, <laughs> like where the reviews are almost worth as much as the product itself, because there's some good laughs to be had. One of the interesting things that I found, Paul, and I was I was curious, so I think you answered this question for me earlier accidentally, was a lot of the reviews are very positive of the film because people watched them on in the Saturday afternoon matinee format back before the graphics would have been as awfully bad as they are now. And so when they were would have been more accepted as, hey, this is kind of like how bad all these movies are these days in the 70s and late 60s. And it's on, it's on TV and it's a monster movie and it's got kids. Like there were a lot of people that oh, yeah. genuinely had very fond and positive memories of watching these movies as kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think when you grew up, th- this is sort of 
this movie, as I mentioned, is, is just a little bit older than I am. But I remember when I was a kid, these monster movies were not joking matters. Like this, if it had, if I had seen this on TV in, you know, when I was six, this would have been true excitement yeah. in, in my world. And uh, yeah, I, I think that, that it does show that today's children are just spoiled rotten. Spoiled rotten. Because the special effects can be so good these days. Um that you don't have a really good appreciation for these live effect type of movies. I, and granted, even, even back, I, I remember, and I think I've even told this to you, Jake, one of the big thrills of my childhood was actually watching Godzilla versus monster zero, who is King mm. Ghidorah on, on this show, a local show called shock theater, right? I stayed up till 11 o'clock. I begged my parents to let me watch it. I was nine years old. I was so excited. And even then I could see that it wasn't a great, great movie. But still, it was a big deal to me to watch an actual monster movie when I was nine. So I, I do think that there is a certain charm that maybe people today just don't appreciate. Could be. Um, speaking of people today, what I'm interested in, and we'll have to see if we can track this down for a future podcast, is that they there is actually they continue to make these films. We mentioned that this is kind of a part of the series, and uh, Gamera versus Goron um, is the fifth entry in the Gamera film series. The twelfth entry came out as recently as 2006, and in English is called Gamera the Brave. And uh, I do kind of it's it's listed in Wikipedia as being the second reboot of the franchise, which now being 15 years ago makes me think perhaps that second reboot didn't go very well since there weren't a slew of follow ups. But we could get more Gamera movies in the future. I may become a Gamera fanatic, honestly. I I I would like to watch that. I, I will not be. I will not be that happy if it turns out to be a gritty reboot without the jets for back legs, but yeah, I'm, if it gets too serious. My, my hope is that it still retains the charm of the original Gamera. Well, there you go, Paul, back to the numerical rating now on the minus scale of negative points. How good did, I mean, you, you already previewed how much you liked the film, but how good did or how bad, how hurt so good was Attack of the Monsters for you? It was negative eight. And honestly, if, if just to let our listeners know, every once in a while, Jake and I participate in bad movie parties, this feels like it might be a contender. Yeah, I, I imagine that, you know, I, I have the rating that I'm coming in here with because it was the rating that I had watching this alone, but I do see the potential for this film to go up if I were to watch it with others and be able to vamp and riff and, you know, let the comedic energy roll. Uh, but as a standalone film, I, I, this isn't one that I'm like, Hey, if you watch it on your own, you're guaranteed to love it. it it's tough to get into it's, on your own. It's no Chinese salesman is what you're talking about. That's right. It's no China salesman. It's no, you know what? Even troll two, I think troll two as amazing as that is with people, I think it could hold up you know, watching it by yourself just because it's that wacky and zany. Goodness. 
this this has too much irritation for me to like wholesale recommend it as a watch alone bad film and and for that reason uh i give it a, a negative 5.5 on mm. the heard so good scale um and Better than it could i think be. yeah i mean i think we've seen films that have hurt better and films that have hurt worse. So there you go. That's a good way of putting it. Maybe perhaps we'll see. Oh, but now it's time for the most least important thing. At last, we've arrived at the most least important thing. It's the way we wrap up every little show of ours. It's Paul's favorite segment in the entire show because it means he's almost free of me. Yay! It's the place where we take monsters and we tell you that they're really just little claymation things, you know, with forced perspective. Or and when I buy monsters, I mean pop culture news, of course, because that's... <laughs> That should go without saying, but just in case you're a little bit behind. Or we do the reverse, where you think you've got it all figured out. Nah, nah, nah. This is forced perspective. We're like, no, no, no. This monster's the real deal. And we blow it into correct proportions. Cool. That's what the most least important thing is all about. So and if you're entirely confused, Paul, what do you have for us today? This is definitely, as we've we've talked about these gigantic monsters for the entire episode, I wanted to go totally different and tell you about a movie that features no monsters. Its main central character are truffles. Truffles? Truffles. Like the mushrooms? The most, yes, exactly. Exactly. This may be the biggest Oscar snub of the year, quite honestly, because it was left off of uh, the Academy Awards list of nominees for Best Documentary. Um, but it's called The Truffle Hunters. And it is a charming little movie. It's starting to roll out into theaters, and surely it's going to be rolling to, to a streaming platform near you. But it's essentially just what the title says. It is about truffle hunters. Most of them are old. They go around with their dogs, who they love better than people most of the time. And they search the Italian countryside for truffles, these little mushrooms that grow deep underground. Some of these truffles can cost thousands and thousands of euros. If you get a really good one, you can sell a truffle for a lot of money. Um, But you get the feeling from watching these truffle hunters that it is a passion for them that goes much deeper than the mushrooms themselves. You meet a lot of really crazy characters. Um, my favorite guy is this uh, this dude who is 88 years old. 88 years old. He loves truffle hunting at night, and he trips over things, and he injures himself. And he um, his wife keeps telling him, don't hunt truffles anymore because you're 88 years old. Or if you're going to hunt truffles, just don't do it at night. So you see this delightful interaction between this old man and his wife fighting over these truffles. And the very last scene of the movie, I hate to spoil it, but you see the old man 
crawling out of his window as his dog waits for him <laughs> so he can hunt truffles at night. It is, it is really a delightful movie. I I enjoyed it a great deal. So even if you don't like documentaries, even if this feels a little bit slower than uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, mm. it's super fun. It's very nice. It sounds sort of akin to the little documentary series on Netflix called We Are the Champions that each episode is about a half an hour and it sort of profiles an individual or a few individuals in obscure competitions such oh, as yeah. cheese rolling or mm-hmm. spicy pepper eating we talked or hair. podcast, yeah. Yeah. And so it sort of sounds like it's kind of in that vein where it's delightfully quirky and fun slice of life with characters that are you know, too real to be made up in their, uh, in their passions and in their quirks. And it does sound very nice, like, you know, sort of, uh, uh, guilt-free, guilty viewing, guilty pleasure viewing. Yeah. Yeah. It truly is. It, It is, it is like that. It does have some, some content issues. There's this one, there's this one truffle hunter who swears a lot. He's quitting <laughs> hunting and he does swear on occasion. Not the old guy who's hurting himself in the middle of the night. No, that would make sense. Different old guy. Contextually, totally that makes a whole guy. lot of sense. He, this guy is throwing people off of his property because they keep wanting him to hunt truffles because he's such a good truffle hunter. And he says, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> he's like it's lost its appeal i've been to the mountaintop <laughs> we see him typing up this whole manifesto of why he's not hunting truffles anymore and the typewriter won't work and he does swear quite a bit during that <laughs> so uh, it's... but it's it's really is very fun and it it is it is just it's a great movie for this time in our life when everybody feels so stressed you're still dealing with covid you're dealing with so many other issues it takes you to a peaceful place where people just go out with their dogs, dig on into the ground, find these, these mushrooms that people just love. And the movie is just a lovable movie too. Do you like your French fries with truffle oil? I've never even heard of truffle oil. Really? No. It's, it's like I a whole mushrooms. thing. Let me be honest. I you go to Smashburger, don't you? They I they, they have like truffle oil. You can get your fries and truffle oil kind of thing. I you know I always do it with the rosemary stuff, the smash tots. That's what. Uh, I mean. uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a very unique flavor, and yeah, um, they they do you know truffle fries at Smashburger, and it's one of those things where I'm not totally sure that I love it, but it is interesting. It's unique. I may have to try it, but I really do hate mushrooms. I love this movie. Really hate mushrooms. You're like, I don't get it at all, but it's amazing. (laughs) I am here for this. (laughs) Well, fittingly enough, I also went with something slower and uh, that's of a piece with the truffle hunters in that it's the type of entertainment that feels like it's a, a little bit of uh, peace in the midst of all the anxieties that people have, all the fights that rage online. It seems like everybody likes Jeopardy, right? Especially with Alex Trebek for years and years and years and years being pretty much everybody's lovable father, uncle, grandfather, great-grandfather, depending on how old you were when you started watching in what era. Uh, you know, Trebek, of course, very sadly passed away within the last year. 
and they have not yet decided on a full-time replacement host. Which brings us to the most least important thing for today, and that is if you are listening uh, right now between Wednesday, April 7th, or Friday, April, oh dang it, my math just left me on the fly. What's for two weeks now, and uh, my math, I'm just stumbling through Friday, the 16th of April. If you're watching after that, you're going to have to find it whenever it hits streaming platforms. Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers, an NFL quarterback and former Jeopardy winner, Paul, is hosting for these two weeks. And he's out there lobbying to try to become the full-time host of Jeopardy. And I just wanted to see how that strikes you. Isn't he still playing football? First of he all, he is still he is still playing football. I think that that probably still pays a little bit better than Jeopardy host, but I guess he need a career after that, right? Yeah, you know, he's getting to where he might only play for the next couple of years. You need a career afterwards. Also, Let's, these types of like syndicated TV shows can make a ton of money. I mean, Judge Judy makes more than almost every player in the NFL. Well, and I like, am sure, I am sure that Alex Trebek was making a pretty penny, but. Let's be honest. He cannot have been like a victor on Jeopardy, like on a regular tournament. Was it something with other NFL players? No, it was, it was celebrity Jeopardy. uh, But he went against like Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, you know, a very rich and successful individual. And I forget who his other, who else he went up against in that episode. I'll, I'll look it up. But, um, you know, it, it, yes, it wasn't against all the regular, but he still won. I mean, that's still that's nothing to sneeze at, right? It's nothing to sneeze at. We we know that it is tough to win on Jeopardy, but was he a good host? That's my only real question. I mean, he is going to have some very very large shoes to fill, and yes, Aaron Rodgers, as good a quarterback as he is, and as funny as a few of his ads are. He does not strike me as a particularly, he strikes me as a rather prickly individual. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to suss out from you in as, because here's the thing actually in my, but my, my own objection is not on the prickliness that he can have because I actually think he can be very, he can have a very wry sense of humor, which I think is good for Jeopardy. However, I don't think Aaron Rodgers' on-screen presence is very good. In fact, I can only think of one of his commercials that I've ever thought, okay, that was funny. Most of them, I'm annoyed because of how bad he is as an on-screen presence. <laughs> like, I've I've tweeted this out before that like on the list of bad celebrity cameos and things, his cameo in The Office is really bad. Yeah. And you know, and you know I like Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, but I just don't think he's very charismatic as an on-screen television personality. Peyton so Man- Peyton Manning being kind of the pinnacle, right? Like yeah, there's not many better than him. No, no. Peyton Manning is the gold standard of old NFL pitchmen, I think. So I I did watch the first episode of Rodgers hosting that came on on Monday where as we're recording right now, he's he's his second episode is on. I'll have to watch it later. Uh, I have to say it felt kind of like a justice league, Zack Snyder's justice league thing (laughs) where he's getting a lot of 
really good reviews from people. Like they're like, oh, Rogers was actually really good. And as I watched it, I was like, I think he was technically proficient. He was eloquent. He moved the show along. He, you know, did all the things he like mechanically speaking, he did fine. But I really did not feel like he had the the charisma to carry it, you know, that unspoken quality and likability, I didn't feel like was there. Now, was that the nervousness of that being his first ever episode, being the host of Jeopardy, that, uh, you know, filling in for somebody who for Rogers is like a childhood, you know, role model and superstar like that, Those I can see why you'd be nervous, but I'm not agreeing with all the rave reviews for Rogers so far. Yeah. But Hey, yeah. that's one episode in. I think it's really interesting that when you deal with pop culture and the reviews therein, oftentimes I think that there's some wish fulfillment in these reviews sometimes. I think that there's a lot of grading on a curve. If you want to like something, you will find a reason to like it. And sometimes and if you want to hate it, you'll find a reason to hate it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that Rogers is, he, he is prickly, but he is a really good quarterback. People feel bad because he hasn't had the team around him very much to, you know, go. And he plays for the Green Bay Packers, maybe the most likable franchise in the NFL. Right. right. So I think that there's, there is a lot of goodwill that pushes through and so it sort of becomes one of these self-fulfilling things oh rogers did really good he did really good right but if your expectation was that he'd probably not be that good or be pretty mediocre then he can easily beat your expectations right exactly exactly but is he alex trebek i doubt. well no of course not you know who would be a great great jeopardy host Hmm. Camara. Camara. Nope. Not. I'm not digging that callback. <laughs> not at all. Here's my callback. The other person Aaron Rodgers beat on Jeopardy was astronaut Mark Kelly. Really? Yes. So he beat an astronaut and like a multi-billionaire. I don't know. If, I don't know if if uh, Kevin O'Leary is a billionaire, but he's a rich guy. He's a rich guy, and that means... doesn't mean he's smart either, actually. <laughs> but astronauts are usually pretty smart. Astronauts are usually pretty smart, but I don't know. I don't know. There you go. Will Aaron Rodgers be the next permanent full-time host of Jeopardy? Probably not. But <laughs> he, I mean, he's lobbying hard for it. He's out there. He's he wants it. Like he's talked about, he'd go clean shaven to get it. Uh, he talked about studying hours and hours of Alex Trebek tape. Like he went back and like watched through old episodes to, to learn from the best. So, I mean, he's committed to it. Hmm. I mean, he seems to want it so that, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. Do you know who I think would actually make a really good Jeopardy host? Mr. Rogers. No, he'd make a terrible <laughs> Jeopardy host. That okay. Would be terrible. Helen well, Mir- did you like what I did there? Because which Mr. Rogers was I talking about? Oh, Aaron or Fred could be either one. All right, get back to your answer. Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Interesting. I didn't see that one coming. I think she'd be great. I was thinking Peyton Manning. Well, Peyton Manning would be great too. Or or here's what I, I really hope they do 
like, and they just surprise everybody with it, like mix it in as they're doing all these guest hosts. I would love to see one with Will Ferrell reprising his role as <laughs> Alex Trebek. <laughs> I think that I'd would be that. brilliant. <laughs> so there you go. That's, that's my lobby. Will Ferrell as Alex Trebek. There you have it. That's it for this episode of Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. As always, we're ready to be ridiculed and mocked and also complimented, mostly complimented, on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. But until next time, until you get locked back inside of our crazy brains for an hour, hour and a half, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.